So man, there is so much to talk about today. And my prayer has been that we would only talk about the things that the Lord wanted to talk about today. Because there's so many. A few weeks ago, I alluded to the fact that we would share the gospel in the stars. As I looked at that more and more, I believe the term for it is called the Maseroth, which, uh, which discusses the gospel in the stars. And I just didn't feel confident, and there was so much content with the fall festivals that I thought I'd give just a little bit of commentary on what's supposed to be happening on September 23rd. Not going into a great amount of detail. How many of you guys, by this point, have heard something regarding September 23rd and the sign that only appears once every 7,000 years? Please hold your hands up really, really high. Okay. So here's, here's the skinny on what's happening. Uh, for us, it will actually be around 3 or 4 in the morning on Saturday morning. And depending on where you look, you'll see different information. What we've found as we've looked into it is it does seem that there's going to be a sign that's in the heavens that's appearing that because of the planetary alignment and the stars where they're at. How many of you guys know that there are uh, signs that are in the heaven? You know, if you've heard of Virgo, if you've heard of uh, Leo, if you've heard of um, what's some more? Cancer. What did you say? Draco? Okay. So listen, here's my point. In Genesis 1.14, we see Moed, which is that he's put the lights, the stars, and the sky. He's put them up there to communicate with us appointed times. This is the important thing. The Lord is returning soon. If you live with a different idea of that. If you live with the understanding that he's not coming till someday down the road, long, long time in the future, you are incorrect. Okay. He is coming soon. How do I know this? Because it's recorded in the word that 2000 years ago, we're in the last days and it's been 2000 years since that's happened. Okay. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. Behold, I am coming soon is what you read at the end of this book, right? And his reward is with him. So we know that he is returning soon. There is a sign with Leo, Virgo, and then Jupiter in the belly of Virgo, which is something that can only be seen using software, using an app. But there's something that, that has never happened before. Some argue that it happened back when Adam and Eve, the timing when Adam and Eve would have been around. Um, but the planet Jupiter, if you guys have ever heard about this, Jupiter actually blocks a lot of meteors from hitting the earth. Did you guys know this? So it actually protects us. Jupiter is called the king planet. Now it's named, uh, you know, I think the Greeks took it and named it after a god of war or something like that. But the original intention of this planet is that it was the king planet. It's, it, it literally acts as a blockade shielding us from meteors that would otherwise destroy the earth. So anyways, it's really fascinating. On the 23rd, it, it'll be around noontime in Jerusalem. This is my understanding. So if I'm a little incorrect, please have grace. There's going to be an eclipse that happens in Jerusalem. And it's going to block out the sun. 
and they will be able to see the stars in the sky. And this is going to take place over the course of a few hours, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Venus, Mars, Mercury, Jupiter in the belly of Virgo, which is a constellation. And they, they're able to tell by the lines that are drawn for this constellation that, <clears throat> man, I feel like I'm butchering this really bad. They're able to tell that the planet Jupiter appears to be in what would be the belly of Virgo, the constellation in the sky. Now, this has happened before, but Jupiter always comes and goes in and outside the belly of Virgo. But now, over the course of the last a little bit over nine months, Jupiter has just been bouncing around inside the belly of Virgo. Okay? And on September 23rd, Jupiter comes out of the belly of Virgo. Now, why does this matter? Turn to Re Revelation 12. So we'll hit this up just for a second, then we'll jump into the, the message. So from back in April of 14... When Passover started and there was a tetrad, you count off 1,260 days. Does anybody recognize that number, 1,260 days, right? 42 months, three and a half years. I feel like I'm humming. Am I humming a little bit, maybe? Revelation 12, verse 1. It says, a great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, which is what you'll see. You'll see that um, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. You'll see that Leo is like a crown on her head. The sun will be shining on her, clothing her, and then the moon will be under her feet. You'll be able to see it. Um, and so this is what's happening on the 23rd. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the darkness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Now, the next time that an eclipse will happen, and I know eclipses happen all over the world every 18 months approximately, but the next time that a major eclipse will happen is in seven years. This is in April of 2024. You can speak loudly because I need help over the United States. So this will happen in seven years. So why am I telling you all this? Why does this matter? A sign appearing like this in the heavens is not something that we should ignore. Now, most of you in this room are living your lives passionately for Jesus. You're not having to be convinced that we're living in the last days. You're not having to be reminded that the Lord is coming soon. You know this, you live with this knowledge, this understanding. But if you find yourself in this room today and you live without any kind of expectation of a finality, I would encourage you, there are things happening in the heavens that have not happened arguably since man has been here. And the orchestration of it all and the way that days line up perfectly, the way that the stars line up perfectly, when you look at Genesis 1.14, you have to realize that God has given these signs in the heavens for us to be aware of his plan. Today in us talking about the fall festivals, the goal of discussing the festivals is that we might be made more aware of God's plan of redemption for all of mankind. 
to leave out these things that are once in a lifetime things or once in a, you know, once in history kind of things that are happening above our heads. Uh, I feel like it would be irresponsible for us not to mention it. So that's the best that I can do right now. Do I believe that Jesus is coming in all honesty on September 23rd? No, I don't. I know that there are some people that disagree with me. I don't. Because I don't believe that there's, can you, I don't know if it's like, am I, is it, am I going crazy? You can turn it down a little bit. Okay. So I don't believe that Jesus is coming back on September 23rd. Why? We're going to see a temple before this. We're going to see a peace treaty. We're going to see the Antichrist. There's lots of things that have to happen. So I don't want there to be any fear about Jesus coming back on September 23rd and that creating confusion. But, but there are also people that say a meteor shower is going to hit America on September 23rd. How many of you guys have heard that? A meteor shower is going to hit America. <clears throat> on this, I have to say, I don't know. But I also don't know what's going to happen tomorrow at all. Okay? What I would challenge you to do is to heed the words that are in Hebrews. Today, if you hear his heart, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. What matters right now is to respond to the voice of God. If he is leading you, if he is moving on you, and you were planning on waiting to get things in order or waiting until this falls into place or waiting to serve him or to give him your whole heart until down the road, let me encourage you, do it today. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't wait until the day after. Don't wait until September 23rd or 24th or 25th because not a single one of his promises will fail. And all of the things that he has said will come to pass, every single one. And that means that he is coming to judge the quick and the dead. So he will bring his reward to those who have served him faithfully, to those who have trusted in Jesus. But he will bring judgment for those who have refused Jesus. This is not a hell and brimstone message. This is a judgment day is coming. And it is sure. You should choose to follow the one who died to save you and defeated death at the command of God Almighty. He is worthy of your life. So give it to him today. Amen? Amen. Sweet. Okay, Lord. That was the best I could do. I did study, guys. I looked at it. I really did. It's just hard, man. There's some keyboard warriors out there just putting out a whole bunch of videos and just making very like good sounding cases. You know what I mean? And you really have to sort through it all, don't you? And hear what the Lord is speaking. You can't just go off the most convincing teacher or video or book or pamphlet that you read. You have to be able to hear from the Lord and to understand his word. So I leave that in your hands. Take it to the Lord. Ask him what you're supposed to do, but serve him today. Amen. All right. So let's jump into the fall festivals. I feel a little bit more confident about this. All right. So what we've seen so far, if we can do a recap, and I don't think I corrected Passover on the slide, so forgive me, or on Pentecost on the slide. So let's bring a recap up of the past four festivals. What we see is that Passover means 
There's a little bit of lag time, so they probably already got it, but it's just waiting to come up. And no, am I wrong? Ooh, go to the next one. Okay, so Passover means without intervention, I will die. It's not literally what it means. It's just always what it's meant as you look at the pattern of Passover throughout the word. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, go back a couple weeks ago and see it. It'll make sense from what we taught. Without intervention, I will die. Unleavened bread, get everything out that doesn't belong. First fruits, there's more to come. And then Pentecost, he provides the help I need. That's what, that's what Pastor Nick said last week. I accidentally put it in there. He gives me the help I need. So forgive me. He'll give me the help I need. So what we're going to talk about today are the Feast of Trumpets. Now, bring that one church slide up. So y'all can see Jesus died on Passover, right? Unleavened bread, he was examined before the cross, on the cross, after the cross, after he raised from the dead. No sin. He was who he said he was. He did everything he said he would do. He was raised from the dead on what day? First fruits. He gave his spirit on what day? Pentecost. Then we see... From what Pastor Nick described last week, we see the church coming about. Now here's something super cool. If any of you have been there when the baby's been born, blood and water flow. It's just a fact of life. Blood and water flowed from Jesus' side. And then the temple curtain tore. The Holy Spirit rushed out, right? The help. Love that. So look, we see the church living in this time. We see the next one to be fulfilled is what? Trumpets. Cool. So we can see that the Feast of Trumpets is the next one to be fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled the other four. So let's look at a pattern of the Feast of Trumpets over time. Because if we can understand the pattern that God has moved in, then we will understand his plan. Sometimes people come out and prophesy things like rapture. But there's been no pattern of that happening. And if you don't understand the patterns that are laid out in Scripture, when someone comes with a new idea that sounds super awesome, but you don't understand the patterns, you're going to be led astray. Especially if they sound super good and the quality of their video is really, really well done. Okay? Or if the book is really well written and on the back cover, their face is just like... And it's so beautiful. You're going to think, man, this guy really knows his stuff, right? You got to understand the word for yourself. The patterns that are laid out will help you understand God's plan for your life, for mankind. Amen? Amen. If, you, if you actually, if you'll put in the time and the effort into studying and ask the Lord for insight and wisdom, you'll actually be able to understand uh, even things that are beyond what you've read. Now, Take that with a grain of salt. What I mean is he'll give you insight into things that previously you couldn't understand. So just by understanding the pattern of what God has done in the past, you'll read something and go, oh, that sounds just like this. And all of a sudden it'll all make sense. You don't have to be a Bible scholar and get a PhD in the Bible. Just read the Bible. Ask him to give you insight and you'll start to notice patterns and you'll start to see it recurring and it'll all begin to make sense. This is what he desires for every one of us. Amen? So let's turn to Genesis 7. So 
So many of you guys are familiar with the story of Noah, right? So Noah builds the ark. And then what happens right after he builds the ark? Y'all know that I'm asking a trick question. Something happens. Verse 1. Oh, I'm in Exodus. Mercies are new every morning. Genesis 7. The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. How many days did the ark sit there completed? Seven days. Seven days, the ark, this giant, massive boat. Rain had never come on the earth before. This giant, massive boat sits there with all these animals, with Noah and his family, all in the boat. Now, if you see them all aboard the boat and Noah was expecting rain, might you think, oh, Noah, you got it wrong, buddy. Where's the rain? Your boat is built. You guys are all on board. You said it was going to happen, but it didn't happen. Right? Can you see the world thinking this way as Noah sits fully prepared for the rain and nothing happens for seven days? The boat sat as a sign for the rest of the world for seven days. Matthew 24, 36 through 39 you can turn there if you want. I did not put a, a slide up for that. 24, 36 through 39. Listen to this. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Anybody remember? Nobody knows about the day or the hour. Where does this come from? Beast of trumpets. Nobody knows about the day or the hour. Feast of trumpets. Why do they say this? Because there wasn't an exact specific time when it would happen. Because it was all about the moon being completely new. And so how many witnesses would they require to tell them that it was time? Two witnesses. It's time to begin. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Because you didn't know exactly when it was going to happen. Now, since then, we've got it all down to a science. We can tell you exactly when the tide's going to come in. We can tell you when sunset sunrise is going to come, right? We know all these things now, but nobody knows the day or the hour. So you see, this is trying to point us to something. Good thing is he tells us, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to, that, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they, know, they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. So we see no one knows the day or the hour. And it will be just like it was in the days of Noah. People will be thinking, nothing's going to happen. You guys have been saying this for a long time. Let's continue on 
as we've been in the past, and then all of a sudden, like a thief in the night, boom, it's here. Okay? Two witnesses will also come before Jesus returns. You can read them about him. You can read about them in Revelation. Joshua 6. Joshua 6, verse 20. When the trumpets sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed the sword with every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Now, as we read about the trumpets. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Oh, I read the wrong verses. Forgive me. Please look at verse 3. Man, Lord, help me. <clears throat> verse 3. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times when the, with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up. Every man straight in. How many days did they march around the walls in Jericho? Seven. How many days was the ark sitting there as a sign for the whole world? Jericho is a picture of the world in the Bible. Okay? When we see this, Jericho was the first battle that the Israelites encountered as they crossed over the Jordan to enter into the promised land. You guys have heard of the parable of the Good Samaritan? Yes? The Jew was heading down to Jericho. No reason to go to Jericho. That's not a good place. You're going the wrong way. Heading towards Jerusalem is what you should be doing. He's heading away from Jerusalem, going the wrong way. And he finds himself in trouble, right? He's not doing the things that he should do. You can go back and you can look. If you want proof that Jericho is a picture of the world in the Bible, it's there. Jericho received seven days worth of warning. And on the seventh day, trumpet blasts. How many trumpet blasts? We had, they had them blow the trumpets seven times, right? Or they marched around the city seven times. And they blew the trumpets and the walls fell. We see seven days of warning for Jericho. Let's turn to Revelation 11. I'm going to catch my stride here in just a second. I can feel it coming. Revelation 11. Anybody have a, a little man-made title over verse 15 in Revelation 11? The seventh trumpet. All right. So in verse 15, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. 
Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and with his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. How many trumpets were there? Seven. Seven trumpets giving warning after warning after warning after warning after warning after warning after warning. And then the day comes. Do you see this? This is a pattern throughout the word. The ark sits there one day, two days, three days, four days, five days, six days, seven days, judgment. They're marching around Jericho one day, two day, three day, four day, five day, six day, seven days, judgment. The first trumpet blows, second trumpet, third trumpet, fourth trumpet, fifth trumpet, sixth trumpet, seventh trumpet, judgment. Do we see this pattern, right? Seven warnings, seven signs that are happening. Now, if you guys say, well, what about the bowls? What about the seals? What about the scrolls? What about these other things? There's a message that we did not too long ago where we went through and we talked about how these overlap. But you can see that Jesus returns. Go to Matthew 24, 31 real quick. Why do we use the trumpets then in talking about this? Because what we see is in Matthew 24, verse 31, let's, let's read Matthew 24, 31. It says, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. When does he gather his elect at what trumpet? The seventh trumpet is when he returns. This is Revelation 19. This is what we saw from a few months ago whenever we did the preaching on Revelation. So he gathers his elect at the seventh trumpet. This is when he returns, okay? So we're talking about some deep stuff here, but what I, what I want to, it to be communicated by the time that we leave today is the patterns that we see so that we can understand his plan for redemption. And then we won't be in the dark about anything. We won't be confused. We see in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, if y'all turn there real quick. This is further proof about what we just said about everybody rising. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Not we get parked up on, on the clouds for a little bit while he comes down and does damage to Israel to pay them back for crucifying the Messiah, which is what some rapture people teach, okay? It's not true, it's not what it says. You're adding things in. What it says is at the trumpet call, when he returns, we will rise up to meet him in the air, amen? This is the feast of trumpets. So when is the Lord returning? Feast of trumpets, at which trumpet? Seventh trumpet. How do we know this? We've seen the pattern over and over again and it says it in his word. We can all be completely uh, at peace with the plan that he has. He's not coming partially like a, a return 1.5, taking everybody, 
right? And then coming back down to like destroy people and then being, coming back up and grabbing us and then we all come down together. We meet him in the air and then we descend. This is Revelation 19 if you want any further clarification on that. So the Feast of Trumpets has always been, can you bring up that one slide about what the Feast of Trumpets has always been? The Feast of Trumpets has always been a time of warning and hope. Who would it be a warning for? Those who are doing evil. Who would it be a time of hope for? Those who are awaiting the deliverance, right? As Noah's sitting there waiting, who's in the hot seat on day six if you're Noah in the boat? right? Noah is. He's sitting there waiting going, you are, you are going to do this. I mean, it took me a hundred years to build this boat. You are going to rain down, right? And they're walking around the walls of Jericho as everybody I'm sure is like peering over like, what are they doing? Right? And they're walking around like, he said seven days, right? Seven. We keep marching for seven. Okay. All right. Not a sound. I'm not supposed to make a peep, right? And then it comes. It's a time of hope. For those who are awaiting the deliverance of the Lord. Amen? Should we be afraid? Do we have anything to fear? No. Amen. All right. That's Feast of Trumpets. Let's move on to the Day of Atonement. So every time you hear about Feast of Trumpets, a time of warning and hope. Something cool. I was looking. There's a brand new uh, website. I think it's brand new. It's called First Fruits of Zion. And uh, has some pretty incredible resources, but I got this from there. At Rosh Hashanah, there are three kind of categories of prayers that the people are told to pray. The first one is to crown God as king as we come before him. In the Feast of Trumpets, this is, this is a time. Uh, this, these are called the, the days of all, the, the high holy days, the ten days of all. The Feast of Trumpets uh, is a, a time when we come before the Lord and we're recounting everything that we've done. And we're, we're remembering, this is you know, how one Jewish man put it. He said, we're remembering how terrible we've been over the last year. That's one perspective. Remembering all the things that they've, remembering all the things that they've done and, and recounting all our sins and all the ways that we've gotten it wrong and erred and hurt people and, and, and not lived according to the standards of God. Yeah, that was the time of the Feast of Trumpets. But they would pray these prayers in these categories to crown God as king. To remember well the things that he's done is the second category. Remember the things that God has done, the good things that he's done. Remember them well. And then the third one, I thought this was pretty neat, was to come before him as a shofar. You guys remember last week we talked about, was it last week, two weeks ago, the idea of a shofar, how we are like shofars, right? It's a hollowing out of the flesh that's inside. So as the holy breath breathes through, it sounds a clear call. This is us. This is what we look like. And they would say, come before God as a shofar so that we can sound a clear call. The flesh is being carved out in us. This is, this is what we're waiting on. We're waiting on the Feast of Trumpets. Some would say we're in it. So the Day of Atonement, let's move forward to this. So the Day of Atonement, if you look at the breakdown, how many of you guys are, have looked into the Bible Project? Have you guys seen any of their videos? The Bible Project? My goodness. Is that not a treasure trove of good stuff? If you, ever, if you ever want like a way to teach kids or a very simple way to understand the concepts of the Bible and of each book, the animated videos that they do are about seven minutes long and they are incredible. So I would highly recommend, 
uh, using those to understand themes of books. I haven't seen anything that I disagree with, and we've gone through a bunch. We're actually using this curriculum for the kids' Bible for homeschool, a part of it, uh, and is the uh, curriculum. So I really encourage everybody to look at that. But the Day of Atonement, if you look inside the book of Leviticus, it seems to be broken up into a couple different parts. But the one uh, feast that they focus on in Leviticus 16 is the Day of Atonement. And they break down every detail of what happens, what goes on during the Day of Atonement. And uh, what's beautiful is that for 10 days, they've all been recounting all the ways that they've gotten it wrong. They've been thinking about their sins. They've been thinking about their shortcomings, their failures. But then all of a sudden, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest comes out and he offers sacrifices for the people. Right? There's one goat. The throat of one goat is slit. And then on the other one, what happens? He places his hands on the goat. This is the scapegoat, right? The Azazel, right? As they uh, sentence Jesus to be crucified, what did they cry out? Azazel, take him away, take away, right? So this is, Jesus was the scapegoat, but they, this was an allusion to the Day of Atonement. So on the Day of Atonement, for all these days, they've been thinking about all their sins, but then now, now all of a sudden, the, the high priest takes all the sins of the entire nation and places them on this goat and then sends the goat away. And the people would be so filled with excitement. Why? Because they're free. They've been thinking about all the ways that they've gotten it wrong, all the ways that they failed for so many days now. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, we're all right with God again, right? And then the people, yeah, all together. There was someone, uh, there was someone recounting about having witnessed the celebration of the Day of Atonement. They, they talked about how the people celebrated so hard and were so excited that, was, that the ground shook. I mean, can you imagine people being so overjoyed that all their sins had been forgiven, that they worshiped and celebrated so intensely that the ground shook. Wow. An entire nation altogether at one time being made back into right standing with God. This was a big day. This was the day of atonement. So let's, let's bring up real quick what the day of atonement has always been. If you could bring that slide up. Remember, this is also called Yom Kippur. Judgment comes. The day of atonement has always been judgment comes. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're in court and you're innocent, do you have a little bit more confidence than if you're in court and you're guilty? Yes. I've been both. Right? And when I'm innocent, it's almost like somebody give me a microphone. Right? Because I know that I'm innocent. I know that I'm not supposed to be convicted. I'm not supposed to be guilty. So judgment in and of itself is not an evil thing. If you think about judgment, it's come, don't judge me, right? We, it it kind of almost has an evil connotation or like a negative connotation. But judgment, if you are innocent, can be a liberating thing, can it not? And so when judgment comes on the day of atonement, for those who have heeded the warnings it's a wonderful day for those who have ignored the warnings. It's a terrible day. This is how we can hear about the great and terrible day of the Lord, because it's both. Let's go to Genesis 7. 
Let's look at verse 17. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. And as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. So judgment came. After the seven days of warning, judgment comes. Floods the entire earth. And it divides between the righteous and the unrighteous. Do you see this? The judgment rightly divides between the righteous and the unrighteous. Noah and his family are saved. Everything else dies. Let's go to Joshua 6. All right, let's look at verse 20. So when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. Now back then, the sign of your defense, of your strength, was your wall. They said that the walls were so thick in Jericho that chariots used to race around them. That's pretty thick. Right on the tops of the walls, the chariots would race around. So if you're Israel and you're marching around, it might seem impossible that they would be able to overcome Jericho because Jericho was tightly shut up and no one came in or out for fear of the Jews or for fear of the Israelites. And so we see here that somehow God brings judgment to something that seems immune from judgment. Something that seems like it would be impossible to be defeated is all of a sudden in a moment overthrown. We see that the walls collapse down into the ground and that the people rush in and they kill everything. Everything that was devoted to destruction was killed. Now, later on, we find out that there was a guy that did not do what he was supposed to do, Achan, and took some of the devoted things, right? But we see that Israel had victory over Jericho, even though it seemed impossible. You got to remember, they didn't come out as a well-trained army. They were slaves, and then they walked around in the desert for 40 years, and then all of a sudden, now they're supposed to defeat this entire city. This is a big deal that God gives them victory in this moment. The odds may seem insurmountable, but I promise you, God will have the victory. Amen? Revelation 19. Let's look at verse 11. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him and that no one knows but he himself. 
He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and the rest of them were killed with the sword that comes out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. We see judgment in the same way I want you to think about in Jericho when the walls came down. This is brutal to think about, but it's history. The walls come down, the Israelites rush in, and then who do they leave alive? Nobody. Including babies. Including pregnant women. This is brutal. What's happening. What will happen on this day that we just read about will be even worse. You think, how could this brutality exist? Let me tell you this. We live in America where we have air conditioning. And like we're going to get in our cars some of you may have even rode here separately because we have multiple cars in our family. There is brutality happening around the world whether we want to admit it or not, right? This brutality that exists either happens in accordance with God's will, right? Or it happens in opposition to God. This day will be a glorious day because the enemies of God will be defeated. This is the day of judgment and it's coming this is what we are awaiting on. The Antichrist will rise and will gather the people of the earth and they'll follow him and he'll have a false prophet with him. If I had to give an opinion, this is just an opinion, it's just a thought. I think some people may be expecting the Lord to return because of a sign in the heaven. And I think instead what we might see is an Antichrist. This has happened before. Why would I think this? This has happened before. Julius Caesar, right? When he dies, there's a comet that went across the, the heaven. And this phrase, I saw the son of man ascending to the right hand of God when his son dies. Augustus Caesar. So what's crazy is they then began to treat the Caesars as gods because of this. And the Caesars would set themselves up as gods, as a type of antichrist. And the people, the people uh, they, they would reference the sign in the heaven as validation. And so I think we might miss uh, a great delusion, a great deception, thinking that God is doing something else. That's why it's so important for us to be in tune with his spirit, right? And to not be carried away by every new thing that comes along. So watch out because there is an antichrist that's coming. Use discernment, use wisdom. And if anything should happen, let's all meet here afterwards, right? 
All right. Are y'all loosey goosey? Because we're about to do something that if you guys aren't fully on board, it's not going to work. All right. So get loose. Okay, let's do it. Let's play the video. Mike, you want to hit the lights? Who's it get it? Sweet. Josh, would you mind turning on those lights? Let's turn off these house lights. Can someone grab the spotlights that are in the back? We're going to talk about something very sensitive here. Does does anybody know how those spotlights work? I'll go do it in the back. Sweet. All right, we're going to play some music, some relaxing music. So I want everybody just to relax. Why don't we all just go ahead and just move our shoulders around. Just take some deep breaths. Let's all just relax for just a, just a second, right? Okay. Let's turn up that relaxing music, please. Do we have these diffusers? Can someone help us with these? Some, some girls come up that were helping earlier. Is, is there a Christiane and a Summer in the building? Maybe a couple other girls can help them. We'll get two other girls here. Emily, would you mind? We just want to really create a relaxing environment here for just a moment. Yeah, just hold them up, yeah. Just to kind of create the illusion of peace. And then, does, uh, do we have the, uh, we have some, some mints, some little mints that the people are going to pass out. Stephen, yeah, go ahead, guys, yeah. So they have Altoids. They don't actually have any kind of medical benefit. But sometimes you can take things and it makes you feel better, so... These are just Altoids, so let's all just breathe peacefully together. Just take in some breaths. Okay, good, good, good. All right. Guys, we want to talk about Christmas for just a second. (laughs) We just want to create a real... Let's go ahead and turn that music up just a little bit. (laughs) So guys, look, many of us we celebrate Christmas, and uh, I just want us to hold, hold our hands out. Just, just for, just, you don't have to if you don't want to, but you can if you want to. Let's take some deep breaths together. Let's just think about family coming together with the presents under the tree. Right, let's think about all the, sometimes the stress and the anxiety that can come with it. The decorations, all the money that you spend. Sometimes we go into debt, right? On credit cards, but... Think about the couple chapters that you might read from the Bible, maybe if there's time, and talk about Jesus' birth on December 25th. Let's just take in some breaths, just, and then let it go, okay? Let's just let it all go. The music, the Christmas music is so wonderful. I love Nat King Cole and Frank Sinatra. We, we sometimes just sing carols, but let's just let all these things go, and let's just remember that... Your family's still there the other 364 days of the year, so that's not the only day. You can still eat good food, still give your kids good gifts, right? And Jesus was born between September and October. (laughs) Now, I want to encourage you guys with some things while we're in this peaceful environment. So most scholars agree that Jesus is born on the Feast of Tabernacles, which makes it even a little bit more interesting when it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word would have been tabernacles. The word tabernacles is used. Now, here's some other interesting things. When Zechariah heard from an angel that he was going to have a baby, he didn't believe. 
because he was old. And the angel said, I will come back to you at the appointed time. This is in John chapter 1. Let's repeat that song if we need to. John chapter 1 talks about how the angel would come back at the appointed time. What's crazy is if you go back to Abraham and Sarah, that word appointed time is also used again. Now this word is moed. This is back to Genesis 1.14, right? Will come at the appointed time. These are signs. Many people believe that John was born on Passover. Now we can work backwards from John's time of when he was serving in the temple. And we can see that Jesus is uh, born six months after him. Now, if John is born on Passover and Jesus is born six months later, that would be tabernacles. And we can also see that in September... Okay, you guys can kill this music. This is ridiculous. Turn the lights back on. My goodness. Thank you guys for all your help. Are we loose enough to be able to talk about this stuff? Are we, are we all on the same page that like we want to know the truth? We don't need someone to sugarcoat it. Just tell us the truth and we'll do whatever it takes. Right? Are we willing to let go of traditions and things that we've done for a long time if there's no point to them and if the Lord is actually offering something way better? Okay, good. I think we're all on the same page. I was feeling it. I was feeling it. Let's do it. So look, what you see is that John is born around the time of Passover. Regardless, shepherds would not have been in the fields in December. It would have been way too cold. But you can see very clearly that Jesus is born in a what? A manger. Now, a manger, what is a manger? Well, on Friday, you're going to see a, a, a sukkah, a multiple, plural, sukkot. You're going to see one built, and it looks like the chopa that we have, but just like bigger. And you're going to see that it looks like a booth. It looks like a, a temporary structure. Well, the word that's used... Uh, or the, uh, the thing to describe what Jesus was born in uh, would have been a booth that he was born in. But it was specifically designed for animals. If you go back to the first booth that's built, it's Jacob. Jacob builds a booth for his animals. And here's the really cool part. This is why I think it's so important for us to follow God's word and to follow his plan. Because the first time that that word for booths is used is when Jacob is reconciled with Esau. So Jacob and Esau, I would argue that these are the ancient wounds that Isaiah talks about being restored. Now, when you look in the story and you see that they're reconciled and it comes back, it looks like, hey, it looks like they were made, they made up. It looks like they were friends again. But you see the descendants, they didn't feel that way. Even to this day, there is bitter war between the descendants of Jacob and Esau. And I believe that tabernacles will be a picture of peace between the descendants of Jacob and Esau. The first booth that was built was right after Jacob and Esau were reconciled. If Jesus is born on the first day of tabernacles and then circumcised on the eighth day, this literally fulfills the Levitical command to circumcise the male child on the eighth day. So when you look at when you look at the Feast of Tabernacles, which is what we're about to do, I want us to recognize that it symbolizes a whole new world. The idea of the world changing and it being different, markedly different, is important for us to realize because 
what we're going to see a little bit later, these feasts play out every single day. And God desires us to live in peace, desires us to live in shalom, desires us to live in right order. And practicing the Feast of Tabernacles reminds us that there are temporary things that don't obey or submit to Christ's rule and his authority. But a day is coming when we will live in permanent peace and all things will be submitted to him. Jacob will finally be lying down. No more troubles, no more striving, no more struggling. And we will see peace all over the earth. The Feast of Tabernacles has always meant a whole new world. Let's go to Genesis 9. By the way, so we're celebrating the feast on uh, Friday, the fall festival. Uh, Elder Ben brought up a, a pretty awesome idea that I'm, I'm really thinking we'd love to explore. The idea of putting together kits, things that we can do at home. Each family can do at home to celebrate these festivals as well. So we do it corporately. We've been doing it corporately, but looking for ways that each family can celebrate these festivals in their own home. Why? It's not because we're trying to become Jewish. That's not the point of this, okay? The, the, the point is, is, is not for us to be Jewish. The point is that when we recognize God moving in a certain way, and then we simply jump in line with that, there is peace in living that way, okay? There's peace in forgiving those who have wronged you. There is peace in being generous. There is peace in removing sin from your life, right? There are peace in these things. In the same way, proactively, we can experience peace as we jump in line with God's plans, his orders, his patterns. And that's what we're trying to do. Now, the way that we carry it out, each man is free to do what he decides is best. You know, as long as it's not sin, we have no freedom to sin. But once we hear the truth, man, then allow the Lord to speak to you and be willing to lay it all down and to live according to his plans and his prescribed ways. Amen. We're in Genesis 9. Let's look at verse 1. So this is after the flood. This is after everything has died and the ark is set up on the earth. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave the green plants, I now give you everything. So Noah now lives in this new world. God affirms a covenant that sounds a lot like the covenant that he made with Adam. And everything changes after this flood. Even their diet changes after this. Why? Because everything's been made new. Noah is here with his family. Righteous family. So now who inhabits the earth? Are there any unrighteous? Not at this point. Righteousness reigns on the earth. Problem is, is it was only eight people, right? Let's go to Joshua 24, verse 11. This is 11 through 13. 
Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. So what are we talking about here? This is a whole new world for them. What does the world look like before this? Slavery and wandering around in a desert. Now they're in the promised land. This is a whole new world. What's the problem? There's also some renters there that don't belong. Right? And they're occupying the land and have to be driven out. So what was Noah's problem? Didn't have anybody to share it with. What's the Israelites' problem? There's also enemies in the world. But now let's go to the final one, Revelation 21. So we see this pattern. We see this warning, 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 warning. And then judgment. And then a new reality. Do you see that pattern? Warning, 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 judgment. And then a new reality. So we see in Revelation 21, verse 1. This is so good. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is the ultimate Feast of Tabernacles. Now what's crazy, and this is a discussion for another time. There will be some sacrifices that are pretty hard to disprove that won't continue. Even on into the millennial reign. When we look at the tabernacles and we see that there's no more death, crying, mourning, or pain. The old order of things has passed away. What we can recognize is he is communicating to us, this is a whole new world. Why? Well, judgment has finally come on the earth. And who rules and reigns forever on the earth? Jesus. And who does it with him? We do. We rule and reign forever on the earth. Now, why does this matter? Why does it matter that we rule and reign with him? Because this is a promise that he made to Adam. We saw these first three feasts, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. We, we saw them exemplified in Adam. Every man on earth comes from Adam. We also see these three final feasts exemplified in Noah. Every man on earth comes from Noah. So we see that these festivals are for mankind. Even in Leviticus 23, the Lord calls them his festivals. 
what we see is that there is a pattern of redemption that if we will follow, we will know what's coming next. Let me tell you what I mean. So to sum these up, without intervention, I will die. I come to that realization. Get everything out that doesn't belong. There's more to come. He provides the help I need. A time of warning and hope. Judgment comes. A whole new world. If you'll look, I'm going to propose this to you. I believe that the pattern of feasts happens every single day. Let me tell you what I mean. When you see Passover and you're thinking, without intervention, I will die. I want us to think of a few different verses. How often are we supposed to take up our cross? Daily. What was the cross? It's Passover. We take up our cross daily. In the morning when I rise, take up my cross, right? Now, what is hugely key that Lamentations gives us? His mercies are new every morning. The mercy of God is on us as we die to ourselves early in the morning. We get up. Unleavened bread. What is this? This is the searching of my heart. Search me and know me, God. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Unleavened bread. What else doesn't belong? Selfish ambition. Deeds of the flesh. We put these things to death early in the day. So I carry my cross, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Yes? And then we see, I move forward into the day with confidence. This is first fruits. Think of Jesus rising from the dead, right? This is us as we come out of that place and we come out confident, full of hope about the day, knowing that there's more to come. Knowing that there's more to come. And then we see what? Now this is, oh, Ephesians 2.10, that backs that up. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So my first thing that I do is I die to my flesh. That's the first thing that I do. I put to death all the, the misdeeds of the flesh. I put to death all my selfish ambition. Get out everything that doesn't belong. And then I move forward in confidence and power. This is first fruits. If you remember, first fruits is a grain offering as well. And grain offering is the work of your hands. So this is the works that I'm about to go and do. We see here that as we go and do that, what happens as we go out in confidence, ready to take on the day, right? Going out in confidence, something happens, right? Plans don't go the way that they should. Someone doesn't respond or react the way that we, that we thought they would. There's not enough money. We don't get the promotion. Something doesn't happen the way that we thought it would. We experience hardship, difficulties, obstacles. All of a sudden, we find ourselves in a place of needing him. I need help. Help me, Lord. Pentecost. He provides the help I need. Guys, it's even, this, this three parts is even laid out in the times of prayer throughout the day. We talked about praying three times a day, praying in the morning, noon, and in the evening. It all lines up. It's all a pattern. You can see it very clearly. So I realize that I need help. He gives me the help that I need, right? And then some time goes by. Pentecost to trumpets, right? Some time goes by and I'm living in the resurrection power all day. I'm not just carrying my cross all day long. I died to myself. I'm not living for my own desires anymore. Now I'm living for his desires. 
and I'm living in resurrection power and I'm doing the things that he told me to do and I'm living according to his desires and his ways, not just my own, right? And then I live my day and the day begins to wind down, doesn't it? Here comes this time of reflection. Here comes this time where I think about how did I live my day? Who have I done wrong? Right? Which ways have I failed to keep the commands of God? And I consider this as I lay down on my bed. Right? And then what do I do? I recognize that he's atoned for all of this. And I lay my burdens down at the feet of Jesus. Philippians 4.13, this is for Pentecost. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Romans 12.3, this is as my day is drawing to a close. Romans 12.3 says, examine yourself with sober judgment. Or another way, be honest in your evaluation of yourself. This is trumpets. And then we come to conclusion and receive his atonement for our day. This is 1 Peter 5.7. Cast your anxiety on him for he cares for you. Cast your anxiety on on him. So as I recount how I lived the day that brings up anxiousness, feelings of worry, stress, I lay these burdens down at his feet. This is judgment because I am his and I am in need of his help and he has given the help. And so I live in that power. And if I should carry or pick up anything that doesn't belong on my shoulders and I should carry it, then let me lay it down as I lay down at night. Let me lay it down as quickly as I can, but if I carry anything from the day, then before I close my eyes to go to sleep, let me lay it all down. And then ultimately, ultimately, we enter into his rest, tabernacles. Do you see this? And then a period of living in that rest. Do you see? This is Psalm 4.8. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So what we see is this pattern. I rise up, Passover, I die to myself, right? See this in the morning, early in the morning, I die to myself. Get out everything that doesn't belong and I walk forward in first fruits, ready to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for me to do. And then along the way, I need his help and he gives it to me. And then near the end of the day, I take into account everything that I've done. I lay my burdens down at his feet and then I enter into his rest and I live that way. And I live that way constantly. I am experiencing his plan of redemption every single day. When you expand on that and blow it up, what you see is that this not only applies for us as individuals, this applies for us as a church. This this applies for us as mankind. And ultimately, it applies to all of creation. God is using the church. God is using believers in Jesus to redeem all of creation. Creation itself groans in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Everything is waiting on him, on us. And if we will live in this redemption, we will watch everything be made new. All anxieties and burdens will be laid down. We will live forever in perfect peace. He is able to keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is steadfast on him. We are able to live this plan of redemption every single day. So when we think of Passover, you think without intervention, 
I'm going to die. But he intervened. When you think of unleavened bread, get out everything that doesn't belong. This is a constant practice. First fruits. He has created you to do good works. First fruits. Show the world that there's more to come. Pentecost. He gives you the help that you need. He provides the help that you need. Feast of trumpets. It's a time of warning. Don't forget, we're not here forever in this system. Forever. Things will change. And he will set up his government. Right? And it will last forever. Receive the judgment of God on your life every day. Spiritual man makes judgment about all things. And then ultimately, live in his rest. These are constants for us. Do you guys all see this? Has this blessed you guys, this study of the festivals? Let's stand to our feet. Father, I feel a weight and a seriousness that has come over us. Lord, I thank you that it's not your desire that we should remain unaware, uninformed. Your word says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but to the glory of kings to search it out. We are a kingdom of priests. You have called us your sons. We are inheritors along with Christ. You call us royalty. I pray that we would search out. Lord, that we would not be content to remain. That we would be moved by you. Jesus, I ask that we would be a people who live according to your word, not just our own opinions or the ways of this world. May we hold everything open-handed so that you can remove the things that don't belong and place uh, in our possession the things that are ours by divine right. Father, I thank you for the people that are in this room. Thank you for their willingness to hear and to receive the truth and to live by it and according to it. God, we just ask that mercy and grace would be on us as a people. Lord, that we would never become prideful that we would never become complacent, but that we would share the good news about what Jesus has done on the cross and the testimony of our salvation with everyone that we encounter. Lord, may we not do it because we want to check off a box, but because we're so moved by the freedom and love that has filled our lives that we can't help but speak about it. Jesus, I thank you for this holy moment this morning. And I ask that all the things that are true and real and right and good would remain in our hearts and everything else will be burned up. Lord, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.